Hi, I'm Kristen Carpenter, the founder and CEO of Verity Brand Communications and the host of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Over the past two decades, Verde served hundreds of amazing brands across the active lifestyle markets. We know how to build and activate communities of rapidly loyal brand fans for our clients because we work every day to help them connect with, serve, and sell to their consumers. And that's what you'll get a master class in every week here on the Channel Mastery Podcast. To reach Jedi status as a channel master, you have to commit to knowing your consumer inside and out. Because today, the consumer is the channel. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce David Silver and Kevin Ahern to you, who are co-founders of Boreo. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited too. It's awesome to have you here. Um, I wanted to just dive right in. We have a lot to cover today as part of our, um, you know, kind of a post-COVID. I'm I'm being a little bit positive there. I know we're still in COVID, but we're, I think, ramping on our way out. This is being recorded in June 2021. And I wanted to touch on, uh, starting with you, the importance of how to, I think, modernize your corporate social responsibility and really utilize channels and uh, your brand reach to affect positive change in terms of what your brand stands for and how it does exactly that for target consumers. And you have such an interesting, multifaceted organization. And I thought you would be a perfect partner to kick this off with. So with that, I would love for you all to both introduce yourselves and then also we'll go into the founder's story and then we'll get into uh, what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, my name is Kevin Ahern, I'm one of the co-founders of Breo, as you mentioned. Grew up in, uh, just as a quick background, I grew up in Long Island, New York. Uh, my dad was a surfer and got me engaged in the ocean at a really early age, which I think is important and definitely something I was very fortunate to have taken place in. He actually helped start a local chapter of the Surfrider Foundation um, on Long Island, which really taught me at an early age the importance of protecting the places that you love. And it's something that's been deeply ingrained in me you know, throughout my entire life. And working through Berea has really enabled me to enact that in a, in a way that uh, makes a bigger impact and has gave me the opportunity to have a career and a lifestyle doing the things that I love. David Stover, uh, also co-founder. Kevin and I were actually classmates in engineering school in another lifetime. Uh, similar to Kevin, grew up on the water. Uh, we're actually calling in for this podcast today, probably about a quarter mile from the ocean. And I think for most of my life, if not um, all of my life after the age of six, I was probably within a mile of the ocean. And so, yeah, I, I think our background is really water-based, spending a lot of time in coastal communities, both at a personal level around surf and exploration, and then obviously in a business level, in and out of what we do now is, is based in the ocean environment. Plus you're entrepreneurs. So <laughs> that's another like soft spot for me. And I also feel, um, you know, from a channel mastery perspective, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but sometimes like the biggest strength of an entrepreneur is not having any idea of what you can or can't do. So you basically had this vision and just decided to try and send it, right? Maybe now you might look back and be like, wow, that was pretty bold, but we're all grateful that you did found this, this organization. Tell us exactly what Boreo does. 
Yeah. So Beret is a mission-driven business. Uh, we started on a mission to find innovative solutions to plastic pollution. And in the beginning, uh, we were actually designing and building products from recycled material. Uh, we identified plastic fishing nets as a, a source of waste for our oceans uh, in 2011, 2012. Uh, and since then, we've really worked at scaling a model to prevent discarded fishing nets from entering our environment. And we do that by educating and working in coastal communities uh, to collect that material back and find uh, positive solutions for it. Yeah. And just to expand on that a little bit, I've, our business model has changed over the years. I think as Dave recapped, we got started back in 2011. So hard to imagine that we're almost 10 years into this at this point. But we got started as a you know small brand with an idea we would collect fishing nets, we would recycle them, and we would actually make and sell our own line of products. So we got started with a Kickstarter for a small plastic cruiser skateboard that were all the rage those days. And uh, you know, those first couple of years, we were pretty much focused on growing and expanding our product offering and building a customer base. But um, as we'll touch on later, what we really, the more time we spent on the ground in South America and in Chile at that time was that the scope of the problem of fishing pollution waste that was being generated by the fishing industries was much bigger than what we as a small brand could consume. So we could only really collect and recycle as many nets as we could turn into skateboards because at some point you have to um, tie those two together. And so over the past probably five or six years, we really transitioned our, our concept of being fully vertically integrated and building and selling our own products more towards focusing on what we were good at, which was uh, building relationships in the communities with the fishermen, educating the fishermen on how to dispose of their nets through our program, and then processing that material in a way back to a raw material that brands would really see useful. So back a couple of years ago, we really transitioned our program to being a raw material supplier to large brands who already had robust supply chains, who were already consuming um, large amounts of material. We enable them to use their brand as a vehicle for change to, to make an impact in these communities by sourcing their material in a responsible way. So tell us, how is the organization set up? Because you're definitely global. And you, as we were rehearsing before we hit record here, um, I learned a few things about that. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, that's great that you talked about the augmentation of the company in terms of how your focus has changed. Um, and it sounds like, you know, as you've kind of become more ingrained in these communities and started to work with the fishermen in South America specifically, like, tell us how everything is set up for Boreo today. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think just as as founders, uh, we were all a bit of nomads um, prior to Boreo starting. I mean, Ben on our team, who's the third co-founder, is really a true expat. You know, he's been studying, working and living abroad since uh, 2006 or 2007. Um, when we wrote the business plan for Boreo in 2012, it was across three continents. I think Kevin was working in California. I was working in Australia, but taking uh, some time off in Indonesia. And Ben at that time was working in Chile and South America. And we would have this kind of uh, tri-continent discussion ongoing through email and Skype and WhatsApp. And so I think that was that was the founding of it, and then the start of the company. Um, we all moved to South America, to Chile, to participate in a startup program that was really targeted at bringing foreign entrepreneurs to South America. 
So I think kind of this global landscape is really at the heart of what we do. And now we, we do have a corporate entity in California. So we are US residents. Um, the company is based in the US, but we also uh, have a very large team for us in South America, specifically in Chile. We have a business entity. Um, most of our employees actually sit in Chile now, and we work from a kind of a large scale recycling facility that we set up there. Uh, we also have a smaller team operating out of Lima, Peru, and you know several contacts in Argentina that kind of help us support the program there from collection to aggregation of waste to delivery of that material. And then in addition to that, uh, we certainly work with customers now in Europe, in Asia, in, in South America, in Australia. So on any given week, certainly uh, our phone calls are happening in the middle of the night or early in the morning. Pre-pandemic, we would have been on an airplane probably several times a month. It's changed, obviously, with uh, with travel restrictions this year, but we still uh, have been spending a significant amount of time on the ground in um, Chile. We're actually waiting to go back. They're kind of getting through kind of a rough period in the pandemic for kind of that region. But certainly, we, we're very focused on the activities happening on the ground, and our teams spend a fair bit of time working remotely and, and kind of working on the ground in these coastal communities. You know, you talked about the evolution of the company and as you're, it's like you're learning and evolving as we all are, as we go. And now you've talked about the pandemic and with that came a lot of awareness and social unrest globally uh, over 2020. Um, you obviously are all about the movement. Like it feels like your larger vision is really taking, you know, a strong foothold in 2021 moving forward, which is building a better world. And I love what you said. We want a cleaner and better tomorrow, not just a less shitty version of tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. I think that's great. And so, you know, you're talking about having customers in, in different countries, but then also going in and embedding and working within these communities to, I think, educate and empower the fishermen, et cetera, like this is, can you talk a little bit about like percentage of time spent? Is it like the approach of like a product driven company versus almost the mission driven? I know they're also connected, but what is the percentage today in terms of the product versus kind of the larger air war, if you will? I mean, to give you some perspective, uh, we had almost a $0 marketing spend in the last 18 months. That would be across digital agency, website, et cetera. Uh, like our entire cost structure was pretty much focused on expanding collection and, and the recycling programs on the ground. And what that looks like for us is really a community-based program. So we're hiring um, local employees that are obviously local to the region we're working in Chile and Argentina and Peru. Um, you know, we're contracting local services for transport. Uh, we're partnering with local nonprofits for education of the fisheries. And really, those supply chains are less us showing up as foreigners and keeping by a strict uh, system that that probably would not fit into the local system. And and really showing up and and hiring and training connected and respected individuals that that can work in those communities that have relationships uh, and it's it's really a delicate balance because we do operate across this environmental world so with nonprofits and governments fighting for solutions and then across obviously this this fishing community which depending on where you are there's various views on size and scale of fisheries and how sustainable that is and we kind of toe this line 
of we've identified this problem. It's a problem uh, regionally. It's a problem globally. And we want to help you guys implement a solution to kind of clean up this waste. And I think in, in doing so and in doing that in a local way, I think we've been able to garner some respect um, by both those fishing communities and by local nonprofits and governments. And that's something that's kind of been unique, at least from our view um, in this movement. I think that you really found a wide open opportunity. I, I don't think you have a lot of competitors, not that you would look at them that way because you're all trying to make the world better, but exactly. am I correct in saying that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we joke because people, you know, one of the questions people always ask is like, have you patented this? And it's really not patentable. It's more just, we do the, the work that no one else really wants to do. And it's kind of the dirty behind the scenes work of, of engaging on the ground and, um, you know, every kilo of fishing nets that we recycle is gone through by hand, washed, cleaned, sorted, prepped. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes on. And um, a lot of that does happen behind the curtain for a lot of the, you know, big brands. And when it does finally come into the consumer goods, it's really focused on, you know, the diversion of waste or the reduction in CO2 emissions or, um, you know, the environmental benefits of it. But at the end of the day, really, it goes back down into building sustainable in this in the sense of of ongoing and continued uh, programs working directly with the people um, on the ground and I guess just taking a quick step back for your listeners um, you know from day one going back 10 years ago um, we took the advice of, of a lot of people already deeply engaged in the uh, nonprofit ocean space regarding um, you know waste programs and um, the, the solutions, uh, out there to go sort of collect and capture material that's already entered into the environment, specifically the marine environment, um, we were very quickly steered away from trying to uh, approach the problem in that sense. And the quickest analogy would be if you walked into your kitchen and the sink, the faucet was on and the sink was overflowing, would you turn the faucet off first or would you go to grab a mop and start mopping up the floor? And really our focus is on turning off the tap of plastic entering in the ocean. So um, rather than going out with our scuba gear on and trying to find one net, um, the focus is really on prevention um, of that material ending up in the marine environment in the first place. That's and that awesome. really happens with the communities and with the people that we're engaging with. Yeah, and I'd like to say that we were right, but in reality, the people that we listened to and the people that we connected with, you know, whether that was from from NOAA or from Five Gyres, the advice Marcus Erickson gave us, or from the fisheries that we connected with in South America. I mean, pretty resounding um, in 2012, 2013, the voices that we heard around like, we know this is a problem. We suggest you guys focus on one tangible impact and look to kind of basically have your your positive impact for our ocean. And that that's kind of been our mission is that you know, we're not promoting like a, a one silver bullet solution that's going to, you know, protect the ocean forever. We're just doing one thing that we think has a positive change. And certainly we need to piece together a number of those uh, positive things from many communities, many different ideas. And if you look at what's happened over the last decade, certainly there's been more awareness to this space. But ironically, as far as resources and solutions go, from our view, there's been a lot kind of on that cleanup and um, miracle solution space and a lot of money has been has been put there. Um, and I would say a lot less has has gone towards the mitigation and kind of on the ground community work. And I hope at this point, governments and nonprofits and 
industries have have kind of spoken up enough to show that like we really do need to focus on that mitigation side. So if you're a brand thinking about where can I cut materials out or where can I sub natural materials for for plastic based materials, um, you know how can I be a part of this recollection system? You know probably not for fishing nets, but for some other type of waste. And really trying to to really break the system and and use design as a solution as opposed to um, you know really trying to clean up a mess that you know we know the source of it and it's ongoing. So we really need to to hit the root of the problem. I love that you talk about it exactly like that because it, it as business leaders we are almost like we're trying to break our own patterns and systems and legacy business processes. Like many of us are compensated or given bonuses for staying the same. (laughs) And I imagine that you're dealing with, you know, very hardworking local families that, you Mm -hmm. know, have been making a living doing this forever. And it's about, you know, enabling them to feel like rewarded and proud of their environment. And you're, so you're managing that. And at the same time, you're trying to create a business case for brands to, you know, integrate recycled materials and and offer them new solutions for that. So it's really, it's really interesting to me that you really have a lot of balls in the air at the same time to make this mission work. Um, Let's talk about the B Corporation status that you have. How has that helped you in this process? Because that's something that you started with from day one, correct? Yeah, we'll have to give a shout out. Um, to Phil Graves, who at the time was the head of um, what used to be Patagonia's twenty million and change fund, it's now the Tin Shed Venture Fund. And um, he actually wrote us an email uh, in two thousand thirteen or two thousand fourteen, I believe, reaching out. Um, at the time, we didn't even know Patagonia had a venture fund, um, and he basically said, "There's an opportunity to sit down and discuss your business plan." And by the way, have you heard of B Corp certification? Because we have a requirement for all of our participating companies in the fund to be B Corps, and which 1%. and one percent for the planet, which um, is also a movement to to donate one percent of all um, top line revenue to uh, nonprofits, kind of working on environmental solutions. And so, at the time, uh, we didn't even have any revenue. We had a loose business model. We were fighting to kind of produce our first product, and we called up B Corp and basically said, "Hey, uh, we're a startup. We don't have any revenue. Um, we understand you have a certification that looks at um, responsible businesses. Is there any way we can start having a discussion?" So at that time, they flicked over the the test and said, "Most of this will not apply to you, but take it." Um, I remember going through, spending several hours going through it, learning a lot on the different resources and tips for how to be a responsible business, but knowing that almost none of it applied to us at the time. So um, I, I think B Corp, uh, recognizing our position, I believe we were officially the first pending B Corp. We basically got them across our idea, what the business model was, and they let us be a pending B Corp for, I think it was 12 or 18 months. During that time, we were able to use kind of the certification process to make some decisions that we've stuck with about, you know, where we're sourcing products locally, um, how we're measuring fair labor, and and you know our um, a cost cost of labor versus anything related to like a minimum wage, how we're considering uh, nonprofits, what our biggest environmental impact is, which is waste diversion for us, um, and you know from that point we were able to build it 
um, into our business model at the very beginning, which honestly is much easier than an established business looking at B Corp certification, maybe several decades in and trying to flip over existing business practices, which, which quite frankly, is, is much more difficult. Um, and we've really benefited from the B Corp certification process as a bit of a checks and balances for our decision process. Um, it's obviously not a, not a perfect solution because you have varying business models to consider within their kind of assessment and scope of work that they go through. But for us, it, it's been incredibly valuable. Um, we've also enjoyed connecting with the B Corp community. We started to see consumers recognize B Corp as sort of this um, certification body to put a stamp of approval on responsible businesses, which I think is a huge uh, leg up now in that um, you know you go through marketing campaigns and the noise of, of ads and some of the greenwashing going on. It's really hard for consumers to kind of boil down and decipher what's good and, and what might be overstated. And I think we really need to rely on some of these certification bodies to help kind of um, even the playing field. That's such a good point, especially in this era of... Um... Two, there's two things that that speaks to. Number one, everybody is highly trained and expects to have solutions online, like boom, right there to help research what they want to, you know, vote for with their dollars, frankly, right? And then there's also just the greenwashing and the fake news and the robo reviews. And there's definitely a trust factor with that. So there's like power and habit built around, you know, consuming online information and researching products and, and, um, businesses there, but it's also something consumers, I think, are pretty wary of. So I think B Corp is probably seeing like an even stronger future for itself in terms of becoming uh, transparent to consumers. Yeah, I think you just touched on a great word there is transparency. And it's one of the key pillars of what we're what we're really focusing on, both internally as our own brand, um, but also working with the, um, the partner brands that we're working with, like Costa, like Patagonia, is, is helping them, you know, helping to illustrate the value of that transparency, um, and then helping them relay that information to the end customer so that consumers can really understand um, where this material is coming from, what kind of actual tangible impacts that it's making, um, and really see third-party audited certifications around uh, traceability of the materials as it moves through the supply chain, um, through, like Dave said, the B Corp and the 1% for the planet, and um, really helping people understand that they're, you know, not all of these um, solutions are created equally. Um, yeah. And I think one thing that we've seen, and I'd say accelerate in the last 18 months, particularly during the pandemic and social unrest is that, you know, historically shareholders or companies have always had this, you know, fraught view that, you know, you need to balance profitability versus doing good. And these two things were always kind of, um, up in arms against each other. And really what B Corp is pushing for is that, you know, in creating value for a company, we should be able to create value beyond just profits for shareholders. And I think in, in reality, what's happening now is that boardrooms and even public companies are realizing that, um, you know, it, it's not that the cost of doing business is higher to be responsible and that's taking away from profits. It's that the cost of not doing good uh, is much higher and that the long-term um, kind of risk of really losing customers and, and losing credibility to a brand is, is much higher by not making responsible decisions for people on the planet. Um, and I think that we are seeing that transition now and there's several good examples in the market of brands stepping up, whether that's the transition to cleaner energy or 
or being vocal um, around why we want to protect land or, or resources. And you're really seeing um, some polarization, clearly that's happening in the market, but also um, a lot of uh, credibility, a lot of brand value that's being built on brands that are mission aligned. And I think consumers are responding. Consumers are showing their ability um, to, to move away from even longstanding brands they've been affiliated with for decades if they foresee an unequal product from a brand that has more responsibility when it comes to people on the planet. And I think I think that movement is is still in the infancy and and you know certainly in the next several decades we'll we'll really see that shift in markets where people are valuing the well-being of their health and they're valuing the well-being of, of our planet. And I think specifically some of the big polluters and big corporates have really profited off of masking people from the impacts of their business model and, and really getting away with kind of true cost to this planet. And I think people are are opening up to that now with technology, with with the, the way information is exchanged now. Um, we just have everything at our fingertips. And I think we're really seeing that in the next generation, right? The younger generations really understand things so much better than we did. And um, we have a lot of hope that, you know, they're going to accelerate kind of that transition to some of these cleaner solutions. Yep. I'm totally with you. So one way to, I know, get the word out, you said you haven't, you may not have, you know, spent like a traditional marketing budget in the last 18 months, but you've certainly done a lot to lift some brands that just are, you know, their DNA is about conservation. And obviously Costa is one of Verde's incredible clients. And I'd love to start to talk about two brands, Costa and Patagonia specifically. So let's start with the Costa collaboration I know that that they're coming out with a new product utilizing Net Plus, and I'd love for you to touch on that. But then I'd also first love for you to talk about, you know, how this partnership started, and you know, the untang- untangled sunglass launch, and just I just think it's so interesting because um, it's really a brand that belongs to a much broader yet still super passionate enthusiast group of, you know, on water enthusiasts. Um, so I'm curious to know kind of how that all came together and and what maybe some of the the proud moments have been with that partnership. Yeah. I mean, the Costa, the Costa partnership has really been um, kind of transformative for just our business in general. They were our first major partner to um, really step into this net plus program, which we'll touch on a little bit um, as that's the trade name for the material. But Going back to August of 2016, we were at Outdoor Retailer um, and John Sanchez um, and a few of the people, leadership people, other leadership people at Costa um, had seen what we were doing, um, as we touched on earlier, in our own product development, making our own skateboards, um, and really saw this as an opportunity to say, hey, if it works for that application, um, why couldn't it work um, for our brand as well? So we sat down with those guys at Outdoor Retailer and really kind of started hashing out the early stages of what a partnership could look like, what Berea would bring to the table, um, namely um, sourcing them the raw material and being able to deliver with that raw material um, certification of where it came from, um, what its impacts were. Um, and really it was, the, it was the early, very early stages of what now has become uh, net plus materials. So that's the trade name for our raw material that we're sourcing with other brands. And it's essentially uh, 100% recycled uh, nylon six sourced from fishing nets and fishing communities in South America. Um, and so the partnership with Costa really dates back to then. And um, we had launched uh, in, was it 2018? 
mm-hmm. uh, the first line of the Untangled collection, which were uh, frames made from 100% recycled fishing nets. Um, that program went really well. They were distributed throughout basically coast of supply chain and um, really enabled us to get our story in front of a much larger uh, consumer base. And like you said, Costa's consumer base is is very ocean focused and very activism focused. And I think it was just a really good mesh um, for their consumer to really see Co- a brand like Costa um, sort of walking the walk when it came to um, not just making products that were long lasting and, and good quality, but also sourced from um, an en- environmental place that really connected with uh, their consumer. So um, it was really a great opportunity, I think, for Costa and for us to really change the way we were doing business. It brought the story to life. And I love that you all um, collaborated on a film together, came out with you know video-based content across so many channels. And then obviously at that time in-person events and launches. And it really enabled the, the consumer to feel part of a movement. And I think that that was just a, a game changer, frankly, like for the trajectory of Costa. And um, I think it really gave a great platform for you, like you said, in terms of emotional engagement with consumers. Um, so let's talk a little bit about NetPlus and the upcoming launch that we have in July of 2021. So I'm curious to get just a little bit of background on NetPlus, but then talk about like what specifically will be different about what's being launched in July versus what came out in 2018 pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, I mean, so NetPlus, uh, Boreo started our recycling program with Net Positiva, a bit of a play on words between our kind of Spanish roots and in uh, the language in Chile, and then obviously being US-based, all of founders of the company. So Net Positiva transitioned into NetPlus. That's kind of the brand of our 100% recycled fish nets. It's kind of the tagline that, that we leave with that material so that people identify where it's integrated, whether that's in pair of sunglasses or a hat brim or, or future products that will launch to market. It's kind of the way that we leave our little DNA, if you will, of those nets so, so they follow the life through the product. And in the end, what we really hope is that brands will um, really include that into their end-of-life solutions as well so that when we're building products, we can identify this material, take it back at end-of-life, which, to be honest, is really an immature market for many brands and, and an immature opportunity that we can really build on and, and building products to be recyclable. So um, certainly Costa, as Kevin said, was an early adopter of our material. Um, they're our only partner in, in the eyewear space. And um, you know they've been a, a strong uh, supporter and, and um, really been spreading the message for our programs. And so really thankful for the opportunity to, to have another program launching in 2021 that's going to integrate NetPlus material. And I think you know it was from their perspective, probably a little bit outside of kind of their their core functions in 2018. And what we've seen over the last three years and the way that they've supported, um, whether it's coastal cleanups, coastal conservation, some of the ambassadors that they've taken on who are promoting kind of sustainable practices and other things that really align with our mission in the last three years is that I think it's a natural extension to be able to release a second collection and, and really continue the story at Costa. Yeah, and from a differentiation standpoint, um, the first collection, uh, first of the Untangled collection that launched in 2018, um, was primarily focused on lifestyle sunglasses. Um, they, you know, were less uh, tech and sport fish facing, and more just something that you would wear around, which aligned with our brand and enabled Costa to sort of enter into that space in an authentic way. 
uh, what we're really excited about about the new launch is that throughout those past three years, we've been able to make um, significant improvements just in the raw material and the NetPlus material itself from a technological standpoint. Um, we're able to increase the purity of that material, put it into higher stress and higher engineered applications. And so it's enabled Costa to then expand their offering, their product offering into you know, more performance-based eyewear, which I think is the big key differentiator between the last collection and this new collection is you know, the, the response from the first uh, set of lifestyle frames from the commercial fishing guys and from the um, you know, sport fishing guys was, you know, we really love this concept. Uh, we're out on the ocean every day, but the glass, we would really want glasses made specifically for our application. Um, and they felt like they, got, they missed out a little bit. And so um, this new launch is really focusing on that application and, and those consumers, which I think is great because those are the guys who are on the water every day um, and really focused on appreciating and, and protecting those places. And they have really strong influence with a lot of the people who like want to self-identify with, I may not be on the water every day, but that's definitely who I want to support and what I want to like be at some point, or maybe it's on the weekends yeah. only, but that is super powerful bridging that over from lifestyle to performance. And that, you know, for a specialty brand, like it's basically the Holy grail, I think. So that's awesome. So let's talk about the collaboration that you have with the great Patagonia. Talk yeah. about reach, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about uh, timeline too. I mean, as Dave had touched on earlier, um, they invested in really early stages of our business, less so as a, as a supply chain partner, more as in we want to help support this small brand with this cool idea of collecting fishnets and producing skateboards. And obviously a lot has changed over the last um, eight years. and what they really and, and what we together with their materials and engineering team was identify the fact that they're already using um, a lot of nylon in their supply chain and there'd be a really good opportunity for them to develop programs that help support our collection efforts and uh, consuming our recycled raw materials, not just as a, you know, a, a brand in their portfolio, but um, more to really increase the impact of what the brand is able to do. Yeah. And I think, when Patagonia initially invested, it was just they recognized we were a attempting to start this business by doing something different and really, you know, less so starting a business and trying to figure out how we can do good and more so like we're a mission driven business that's based on providing a solution. Like that's inherent in our business model. Like the whole delivery of recycled nets provides a solution. And that's what our whole business model is kind of predicated on. So I think um, that gave us a lot of credit in the beginning. And then as kind of that relationship developed, certainly, as Kevin said, there was a lot of interest um, from various, uh, you know, whether it was the materials team or the design team or the sustainability team and certainly the leadership team to figure out where our material fit into their core products. And so um, I don't even know how many different product developments we've had now, certainly probably close to a dozen, but five or six that have kind of been going on for quite some time. The first of which um, was a recycled hat brim. We worked with their supplier, ASI, kind of a global hat supplier, to transition their what previously were a virgin plastic brim and a hat, which seems small. But as you know, the outdoor space makes a lot of hats. So the first goal was to, to switch over 100% um, of the adult headwear into a, into a um, recycled brim. So that was an ongoing project. And then this summer, we're actually launching 
um, a large recycled fabric project that is kind of just started to become public with Patagonia that kind of focused on a lot of their core kind of uh, core uh, product lines. And really, as Kevin said, identify the use of the material that we collect within their line and offer a truly kind of identify where they're using polymers or plastics in their line and where we can substitute out, you know, a 100% post-consumer recycled material. And that's been a really great project for us. Um, to be quite honest, it, it wasn't something that transitioned slowly. We kind of, it's been in development for several years and we're really going at it pretty strong. It's going to come out of the gates, um, switching over a lot of products and, and, and really consuming a lot of our material, which is great. Um, and it's it's providing a platform for us to scale, um, and and basically that means going to new geographies, educating, collecting more material, and really um, setting us on a new trajectory that we've kind of been working at for a while. Yeah, and as a as a mission driven brand, it's really enabled us, as Dave said, to to scale our impact on the ground with the communities that we're working in. So to give the listeners just a bit of uh, perspective on that, I mean, in the early years, the first few years when we were producing our own products and we're a small niche brand. We were only, we were kind of limited to being able to collect anywhere from, you know, one to two tons in the first year, three to five to seven tons to 20 tons in those first few years per year. Um, and in this last calendar year with the support of brands like Costa, Patagonia, Trek, Futures, all of our brand partners, um, we collected over 650 tons of material, um, which I think is around 50 or 60 40 foot shipping containers full of material. And had we stayed with our initial um, plan to only produce and sell our own products, we would never be able to get anywhere near that. And so um, that was really the benefit of identifying and working with brands to use their size as a vehicle for change. It's really enabled us to to enact that change on the ground in these communities. So as Dave touched, we've we've scaled throughout Chile um, into 56 communities, and we're working in Peru and Argentina and continually looking to expand. You know, one one thing to point out is that the problem of fishing net pollution is is not something that is you know unique to Chile or Peru. It's something that every country that has a coastline generally has a fishing fleet, and the nets do reach an end of life through normal use, and it's something that is continually turned over by that industry. And so, all of these fisheries around the world need access to environmentally friendly disposal of their material, and so. Really, the more we're able to work with other great brands, the more we're able to scale our mission geographically and um, continue to scale our impact. And consumers want to see those stories more than ever. So it really does feel like you're converging all of these, like the time is now, right? To drop the clutch. And as you head into the second half of 2021, it looks like we have a lot to watch out for from Costa, from Patagonia, and from other future brand partners. Um, can you please share with my awesome audience where they can learn more about Boreo and some of the awesome projects you're working on? Yeah, our website is just Boreo, B-U-R-E-O.co.co. We always uh, said in the beginning we couldn't afford DM, so we've just stayed with <laughs> .co. But, and we also, we also miss a lot of emails from people that reach out to Boreo.com. We're not sure who gets all those, but we're .co. And we're definitely not the most active on social media, but um, you can find us on at Boreo on pretty much just Instagram. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah, that 
we're so focused on the the community work that sometimes uh, to our own fault, we uh, we fall short on the social media side. But again, as we said earlier, we're really just focused on on making the impact and letting that, you know, carry us. Right. Well, hopefully Verde will be able to help you with the Costa side. And I know Patagonia has an A plus team of people over there that help to get the word out and they have that beautiful catalog, et cetera. So I am just so excited that we were able to share you with the audience here today. Is there anything that I might've missed before we wrap up? Cause I just think this is all super inspiring. Yeah. I, I'll just add, I actually got to join, um, speaking of kind of filming and marketing, I did get to join a, um, a trip a few weeks ago with some of the Costa ambassadors. Um, and one one reflection that we had is just something that we've kind of said all along is this idea that we're all kind of connected by water. And certainly in our experience, we've gotten to, you know, uh, experience the mountains and the water coming from there. And we spend a lot of time in South America and kind of the raw power of the ocean there. And, and really the environment and this community is connected in so many ways, even more so than people realize. And one experience that we've really enjoyed is connecting with people from all these different demographics and communities and, and seeing that they are all like-minded. Like even if we have different views, whether that's political or where we live or what sports we're interested in, we're all connected um, by this kind of uh, real mission to kind of want to live in a cleaner and safer world. And um, it's something that we're really optimistic about going forward and and seeing kind of this idea that we can live in a in a cleaner and better future. And, and I really think that we're happy to be a part of this movement and we'll keep fighting from this end. Awesome. Well, we're here to help you get out there and, and um, really make the biggest impact possible. So thank you so much for being on the show here today. And everybody head over to Boreo.co, no M, to learn more about all of the fantastic initiatives that are underway in mid-year 2021. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, yeah. thanks for allowing us to share our story with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.